0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This is being Bumo. A podcast for the modern parent that wants to be the best version of themselves while being the best parents they can be for their kids. We'll be spotlighting parents and experts who are not only inspiring, but also willing to share with us how it really is. Because as we all know, parenting can be equally as rewarding as it is challenging. We're here to make your life easier, a little less stressful, and help you navigate through this complex thing called parenting. Parenting. Happy 2021, Boomos. We are back and we are so excited for all of the amazing guests we have lined up for you guys. Through our episodes, I hope you find the inspiration, knowledge, and hope for you to become your best as a parent, partner, and for yourself, really. 2020 was a challenging year for so many of us, if not all of us, some more than others. But 2021 is all about being equipped with what we have learned to move forward. Today's episode is with Elizabeth Earnshaw, a licensed marriage and family therapist. I actually discovered her on Instagram and absolutely became hooked on her content. She gives out the most helpful advice, especially during these trying times. She shares with us the four horsemen to parenting and to relationships, and also creating boundaries with your partner and kids so you can become a healthier version of you this year. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Hi, Liz. How are you?
1: Good. How are you?
0: Very good. Uh, Welcome to Bing Bumo and thank you so much for doing this. I have been following you on Instagram since the start of the pandemic and your posts have been such a godsend and just a lifesaver, just keeping me sane and perspective wise of reminding, you know, um, everything doesn't have to be perfect. So thank you for all that you do and for your time today.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yes, absolutely.
0: So first of all, let's just kind of go into how you got into all of this. You know, you talk a lot about relationships. Um, you talk a lot about parenting. How did it all start for you?
1: Yeah. So I went to school to be a marriage and family therapist because relationships have always been fascinating to me. I I was going to want to be a family therapist and work with kids because my initial degree was education and I just love being around kids. But in my work as a family therapist, when I was working with children, I noticed that so much of what was going on with the kids was actually based off of what was going on with the parents. And so parents struggling to manage stress, conflict, different value systems. And so I shifted into being more of a couple's therapist when that happened.
0: Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And because I, I kind of went down your feet and I saw that there was a little bit of parenting. Um, obviously, you're a parent as well. But then I saw that the core of it is relationship based.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I kind of mix in the stuff I used to do as a teacher and a therapist with kids with the stuff that I do now, which is more based on working with adult couples, a lot of the times who are parents.
0: Mm, I see. So there's something that you talk about, which I'm going to start off with because I find it fascinating. And it's the four horsemen of parenting. And that is something that you've talked about that I'm also curious to know more about. So can you talk about what those four horsemen of parenting are?
1: Sure. So over decades, a relationship scientist named Dr. John Gottman you might've heard of him before, has done tons and tons of studies on couples. And what he saw in these couples is that there are four habits that really make or break relationships. And the habits are criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. So when I work with adults, when I work with couples, one of the things I help them to really think about is how they're using those four things in their relationships. However, even though this was done with adults, these studies were done with adults, what I found is that parents often use the four horsemen with their children. Mm. And the research shows that when adults are doing this with each other, that it erodes the relationship. It leads to something called the distance and isolation cascade, which essentially is exactly what it sounds like. If I criticize you a lot, you're going to defend yourself. We're not going to be close anymore. I'm not going to come to you anymore. I'm not going to trust you. So I started to think it was kind of interesting to think about the way in which we use those four things with our kids, because if it makes adults not want to be close to us, imagine what it makes our kids feel like when we're criticizing them, when we show contempt towards them, when we shut them out, when we get defensive about our own behavior. And I find that it does the same stuff right? And make our kids not trust us. And do you feel like,
0: because my daughter, I have a two-year-old and a six-year-old and one of my daughters, the oldest one, she is naturally just a bit more, um, I guess, shy to say the least. You know, when she opens up, she really opens up. But for her to share things, I, I really have to dig in. Like I have to ask her questions that are not the obvious of, like, for instance, I can't be like, "How is your day? Because then she'll just be like, good, right? And that's also what adults do as well, right? So yeah. I have to kind of, you know, weave my way in to see how she's actually doing. So do you feel like, you know, this method and it just depends on how the character is, uh, how the person is, like if someone is a bit more open, if someone is a bit more closed off, like do different personalities actually change these principles or are they all kind of the same?
1: So when it comes to these four things, it's kind of the same, right? Like no matter how shy a person is or outgoing a person is, they're not going to respond well to criticism. Mm. No matter how shy they are, they're not going to respond well to defensiveness. And so maybe I could tell you a little bit more about what it would look like. So with adults, if I'm criticizing you, I might say something like, You never want to help around the house if you're my partner. But Mm. we also talk to our kids like that, right? Right. And we might say something to our kids like, you're always just laying on the couch or you never treat anybody nicely or what's wrong with you? Why are you always so shy? So we might do these things that actually criticize them. I would say that a shy person is probably less likely to push back. So it might be even worse for them. Mm. But what's going to happen is that as we criticize them, they feel less safe with us. The interesting thing is, is that it's almost kind of sanctioned behavior sometimes in parenting to criticize our kids. It's like okay for us to say to a little kid, "You're always laying around, and you're just you're acting so lazy." And da 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 da. Mm. Whereas I think we recognize it more that it's not okay to say it to an adult. Like if I say to my husband, "You're so lazy. You're always laying around," most <laughs> people would probably say that's not a very nice thing to say to your husband, right? Um, and so one thing that we do is to get behavior responses from kids. We tend to criticize them. And what we know is that in adult relationships, it causes divorce. So if you're doing this with your child, it's kind of going to cause a divorce in your relationship with your child. Your Mm. child over time is going to think, my parent doesn't like me. They think bad thoughts about me. I can never explain myself or justify what I'm doing. And over time, you're going to have more and more disconnect. Now, the same thing with defensiveness. Let's say that you as an adult are really out of line with your child and your child says something like, you know, what you did yesterday hurt me or it upset me and you start defending yourself. Well, maybe if you would have just acted right, then we wouldn't have had to have that problem.
0: Mm.
1: That is also pushing your child away. You're saying to your child, I can't take responsibility for myself and for the things that I did wrong. The third one which is stonewalling would be silent treatment. So some parents give their kids the silent treatment to get what they want. And then the last one is contempt. And contempt is when you belittle. So I'm ashamed that I raised you. Um, No child of mine should act this way. If your grandparent could only see how you're acting right now, they would be disgusted by you. So these four things, when we're using them And we often use them as an attempt to get what we want. We use them to try to get our kid to behave in a certain way. But when we're using them, we're actually really hurting our kids.
0: Hey, it's Patrick Starr. I'm coming straight to you with my very own podcast, Say Yes to the Guest. I'll be hanging out with some of my fiercest friends and spilling some serious tea on business, beauty, and being a boss-ass bitch. With me, baby, you'll never know what will happen. Find Yes to the Guest on Apple Podcasts or anywhere where podcasts are played. Start streaming and downloading now. And don't forget to subscribe because every Monday we're going in. We got so much to chat about. So turn it up and say yes to the Guest.
1: Yes. Yes,
0: yes, 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 yes. So, if not these four things, then what is an effective way for a kid? Let's say a kid is acting out and you want them to learn from their behavior and you want them to be, do better. What is an effective way um, to be able to communicate that?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So, we can certainly do all of these things without criticizing them <laughs> and without giving them silent treatment. One is obviously to have really clear boundaries. You know, I often talk to parents about it being really important to think about what you can prevent. So often your boundaries happen before the problem starts, right? I know that when we are having major meltdown days, it's because I didn't do enough preventative work. Mm. And what I mean by that is that I had no clue what we were going to do next, right? Like I had no schedule or... I left out paint that I didn't actually want him to play with. And so then all of a sudden he's painting on the walls or whatever it is. So one of the ways that you can just get around a lot of it is you figure out what can I prevent? The other thing that you want to think about is then what do I limit and how do I limit it? So if I can't prevent talking back, because our kids are going to talk back sometimes, instead of trying to set a limit by saying you are such a brat, which is criticism. What is the limit? You know, when you do that, then what, when you talk back to me, then mommy doesn't really feel good around you. So if you're going to speak to me that way, then I have to take a second. I have to take a break from our conversation or Let's say that they throw paint all around the house. And obviously that's your limit. You might have to have a boundary of, it sounds like right now you can't handle the paint. So I'm going to have to put you over here to take some quiet time. And then afterwards, you're going to have to help me clean it up. So again, nothing in that um, entailed criticism, belittling, or Mm -hmm. silent treatment. You can still take breaks. That's not silent treatment, but it didn't include any of that. So limits, important. And then the other is sometimes we just have to let things go. And I'm sure you know that with your six-year-old and your two-year-old, like we are not going to have to address every single thing all day long. And I think when we start to try to address it all, we get stuck in power struggles Mm -hmm. with our kids. And as soon as there's a power struggle, you are more likely to start becoming critical because that is often what we do to take power is we try to push people down. Mm -hmm. And would you say
0: that timeout is equivalent to a silent treatment or is that different?
1: I think it depends how you use it. I mean, we use we use timeout in my house, but we, there's different ways that people frame it, right? So sometimes timeout is used as a way to shame. Mm. And I think in those cases, it's silent treatment, right? Like if I'm saying to my child, you have to sit on these steps because you are so ridiculous. I don't even want to look at you, da, 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 which are all things that some some of us have accidentally said sometimes. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know I haven't always been perfect with that, but when you're using it as a form of shame, it's usually not very helpful, particularly for the relationship with your child. You have to look into preventing what happened in the first place. So can you create structure? Can you create predictability? The second thing is trying to make sure that you know what your limits are. And the third is that sometimes you let things go. And one of the things that you were wondering is timeout the same as silent treatment? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it depends how it's being used. If it's being used in the same way that silent treatment is used, which is to make someone feel rejected, ashamed, all of those types of things, then it's not really that helpful. Right. But if it's being used so that both people can calm down, including mom, including dad. And so the child can kind of take space to decompress, then it can be really useful Mm. because the same with adult conflict, parent child conflict, it doesn't go well if you're physiologically flooded. Mm -hmm. and so if your heart is racing if things are coming out of your mouth that you usually wouldn't say if your child's heart is racing and they're escalated continuing to try to talk about it usually doesn't go anywhere good it usually leads to parents saying a whole bunch of things they don't mean or doing things they don't want to do and it leads to children just escalating 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 and saying things and doing things that they don't want to do. So yeah, if timeout is being used as like, we're taking time out from each other so our hearts can slow down. And so we're not physically flooded anymore, which means like activated, then timeout can be an okay thing to do, if not a really important thing to do.
0: Yeah. And I love that you talk about how, you know, the stem of a lot of, you know, child issues and kids acting up, a lot of it also has to do with parenting as well and the relationship in itself. So let's kind of switch gears to that. Just because now that we are, we've been here in this pandemic for almost a year now and more people, more couples are stuck at home. I've heard somewhere that the divorce rates are like at its all-time high during these times. And I would imagine it's because people are having to sit with themselves and their issues and their problems and actually have to deal with it at home, right? And these are things that we've always had, but we've always been kind of carried away with the busyness of life. And so, you know, what, what are some healthy boundaries parents can set with their partners and even with their kids during these times? And I'm sure that these are questions that you get a lot um, from your followers, from you know your clients, because it is a challenging time right now for both parents and kids.
1: Yeah, it's really hard. And I think that there were some natural boundaries before for a lot of families where you, you took space from each other there was a set bedtime there were you know the moments that the kids went off to school there was homework that needed to be done and i think so much of that now is kind of diffuse because like what is time anymore right, right. Like, bed times have shifted what time do we have to wake up if school is you know i don't have to wake up my son at the same time because he doesn't have to be at school so early so Those natural boundaries aren't there. And I think that's been really, really hard and challenging for people. And like you said, they're kind of face-to-face with each other and they're actually having to talk about what their boundaries are. They don't get to just escape in the world kind of controlling their boundaries. And I think a few that are super important right now is number one, when are people getting time to themselves? So what are your boundaries around you time, which includes your work, but it also includes like needs for personal care, quiet decompression, all of that kind of stuff. The other thing I think is really important is what are boundaries around stress? Because one of my theories is that the reason so many couples are struggling right now is number one, either that old issues are surfacing Mm -hmm. because they were never dealt with before. And the other is that we know through research that one of the biggest problems for couples is mismanaged stress and that mismanaged stress often ends in divorce. And so I think it's really important for people to be thinking, how do we want to manage our stress in a way that's effective for our family? And something that a lot of couples have been struggling with is differences, mismatches in the way that they want to process the stress. So some person might, one person might want to have CNN on all day long because for them, they feel like it helps them manage their stress. They like to listen to what's going on. And the other person might say, this is overwhelming me. I don't want to hear this anymore. Mm. Um, One person might come up from the basement, like my husband who works in our basement right now, and talk about their day and how stressful work was. And the other person, like me, at the end of the day, wants to pretend like none of that existed. I just want a break from the work day.
0: And there's no right or wrong, right? It's just personality. Yeah
1: no right or wrong. Neither of them are wrong. And in fact, the person's doing them because it's right for them. My husband comes up and wants to process his day because it helps him with the stress. I want to just turn it off and cook dinner because it helps me with mine. Now, what happens is that couples don't tend to have good boundaries around how they navigate that while still honoring the other person. And what we tend to do is we create these rigid walls where we say, my way is the only way and you need to respect that and and do what I want to do, or we're not going to, you know, we're not going to do anything other than that. And so something I really suggest is to sit down and say, this is how I manage my stress and this is what I need. And I know this is what you need for yours, what kind of flexible agreements can we come up with that honor both of those? Because rejecting my husband's need to talk isn't going to be good for our marriage. But also if he talks all night long about his stress, and I'm just using this as an example, but if he talks all night long about his stress, it won't be good for our marriage either, because that isn't helpful to me.
0: So what, I mean, I love that you guys are, you're using you as an example, because I feel like a lot of people are very similar where they feel like their partner has different way of managing their stress. So what conclusion have you and your husband come to as far as what is a healthy boundary?
1: We had to sit down and talk and share with each other what it was like for both of us, which is usually the first step. Help each other understand. Don't jump into finding a solution first. You have to help each other understand first. So I shared with him, when I hear about the news and work and the end of the world all day long, it is really stressful to me. And it actually makes my body feel activated and overwhelmed. And he had to share with me, well, when I can't talk about it, it just is stuffed. And then my body feels overwhelmed. And so then we talked about, well, what works for both of you, both of us. And I said that the thing that works for me best is to be able to have time that's agreed upon where we just don't talk about it, where we do other things. And also for me to be able to predict when we are going to talk about it. And so we came up with an agreement where at the end of the day, right away, we don't talk about any of the stressful stuff. That's our agreement. We hang out with our son. We watch TV. That's not related to the news. We cook dinner, but then at the end of the night, we have a commitment to each other to talk about stress. And that for us was our agreement. A lot of couples will come up with different types of agreement agreements, but that is the way that we worked it out.
0: That's great. I mean, I, I like that there's a strategy behind it. And I feel like sometimes you have to look at your relationship in that way, no other, no different than your business. Because for me, I put so much time and energy and effort on creating strategies and ways to work my business. And sometimes, you know, especially this year, I've learned that I didn't have that kind of strategy and plan for my relationship. And that obviously, you know, hurt us in some way, but having that strategy is just as important in your personal life as well.
1: Absolutely. I love that you compared it to business. A lot of the times when I'm working with my clients, there will be one area of life where they don't have as many issues and sometimes it's work, right? Like they'll say, I never argue with people at work, but I'm always arguing with my partner. And I'll say, well, what works at work? And can you bring that over into your, your relationships? Because if something works in one place, you can usually somehow apply it to the other relationships that you have.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. Now that we're on the topic of like relationships and conflicts, I read a post that you recently did that inspired me a lot. And you talk about how within your worst relational conflicts lie the biggest opportunity. What do you mean by that?
1: So all couples are going to get into conflict. All human beings that have relationships will get into conflict. It's just a reality of life. And within the conflicts that get really stuck, which we call gridlocked. So they just lock and they they don't change. We never get anywhere. There's actually a huge opportunity to learn more about each other. Conflict, when it's safe, and I want to put that caveat because if it's not safe, there's no opportunity for growth because you can't grow without safety, right? In a relationship, you can't have intimacy. But conflict that's safe actually opens the door to conversations that we honestly don't have in day-to-day life. Because unless there's some of that stuff stirred up, you're not even going to know to talk about it. The problem is, is that a lot of the time when we get into conflict, we start to think about win or loser, and we just want to mm. prove our point. And so we lose the opportunity to actually learn, and we lose the opportunity to expand the way we think about the problem in a way that helps us come up with new opportunities for problem solving, for understanding each other, for all of that. So one thing that I always tell the couples I work with is if you are stuck in a conflict that is the thorn in your side, it is not going anywhere, you can't come up with any solution. The most important thing you could do is say, let's stop trying to solve it. And I actually wanna understand you. I want to understand what your perception of this has been. I want to understand why, in particular, this conflict is more upsetting than some of our other conflicts for you. Does it relate to a trigger? Does it remind you of something in your childhood? Is it related to a deeper dream that you have and you're afraid that it's getting in the way of you getting that dream or that need met? When you can pause it and talk about those things, you can actually learn things about each other that you never knew, show sensitivity to each other. And because of the new information, you might actually come up with new types of agreements that will help you to work forward. Mm, I love that.
0: And would you say that there are just some problems and conflict that just never get resolved and that's okay?
1: Yeah. The majority of them do not get resolved. (laughs) Um, And if you are listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, that sounds about right. You're not alone. There's tons of research that shows that most couples, the majority of their problems don't have a clear cut resolution beyond Um, acceptance and understanding. So Mm. many of our conflicts are just differences in the way that we see things, um, differences in our own desires, our own dreams. That's okay. If that's happening, then the resolution, the quote resolution you want to shoot for is actually being able to understand each other and come up with an agreement for how you manage the difference. Instead Mm. of just trying to win and make the other person come to your side and do it exactly your way. You want to think, how do we manage it? So that example I gave with my husband, that's an example of how we manage the difference. Got it.
0: And would you say this is similar with kids as well?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, our kids are little human beings too, right? And we are going to have personality differences with them. Of course, as the adult, we do have to be the adult in the room. Right. That gives kids feelings of safety and all of that. So it doesn't mean that we are letting them make every single decision or that we are constantly coming up with agreements that don't actually serve our family. But if you are constantly headbutting with your child on something, I really suggest you take a step back in a calm moment, not in the moment where you're in that headbutting. And you try to understand like what is actually happening for them it's you know depends on development a really young kid probably can't express it you know as much as let's say your 16 year old but what is so important to them about winning the battle you know if your teenager is just headbutting and fighting because they want something and you're saying no why is it so important to them and try to move out of the space of they're just trying to be a jerk because that's criticism remember right. we want to away from that to there must be something really important about this. Maybe it's not safe. Maybe it's not a good idea, whatever. And we can talk about that later. But at least if I can understand them, then I can try to help them understand either why I'm saying no or why I'm not going with that flow with them. Or Mm -hmm. perhaps we can come up with an agreement that honors us both, that gets us both what we need.
0: That's great, and I'm I'm just already thinking about once my girls turn into little teenagers because I'm sure that I will be coming back to this podcast episode uh, <laughs> to make sure that you know, you know, I take a moment to breathe and really think about what their needs are because sometimes we just get so heated in the moment, and I for me I'm an Aries, I'm a fire sign, so when I get into an argument, sometimes I forget about why and what, and it's just like emotions. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. So yeah, I'm a very dope, good reminder. So I
1: understand <laughs>
0: <laughs> fire signs. So there's one more thing that I had a question about. You did a post on children having egocentric thinking. What, what does that mean?
1: Yeah. So developmentally kids see themselves as being the center of the universe And the way that they perceive everybody around them is that everything operates around them. Now, as we grow up, we start to have the capacity to understand that we are not, hopefully we have this capacity, that we are not the center of the universe, that other people have their own personal lives and their own reasons for things and all sorts of stuff. And the reason this is really important to remember about kids is because they believe That behavior is because of them. So if adults are being mean to them, they really believe that's because they caused those adults to do it. They don't Mm. have the capacity to think, you know, maybe it's just that mom had a tough day. Or maybe it's because everybody's really tired. Or maybe it's because I, you know, she, this reminds her of her childhood and it's triggering her. Kids don't have that. We as adults can say things like, you know, maybe my kid's having a tantrum right now because they're really tired or maybe they're doing that because they're hungry. We can think that way. Kids do not. So when kids are treated well, they believe it's because they deserve it. So when they have parents who are mostly, and I talk about the good enough parent all the time, you do not have to be perfect. Please do not try to be perfect. (laughs) It's setting an unreasonable expectation for your child as well. But when you're loving most of the time, warm most of the time, allow for both their independence and their dependence on you, kind of navigate that. Your child believes it's because they did something to deserve it because they're egocentric. Now, if children are neglected or abused or treated poorly or abandoned or any of those things, they don't believe it's because the adult was the bad one. They believe it was because they were the bad one because they just Mm. don't have the capacity to think beyond that. And it makes sense, evolutionary-wise, we need to think, as children, we have to think that the adults are perfect. Otherwise, it would be too scary to live in the world, because they're supposed to Mm -hmm. keep us safe. So we come up with really complex, interesting ways to explain away bad behavior.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I found that really fascinating. And Sometimes we forget that they don't have the mind of an adult. So sometimes we're like, we say things and we don't realize that it could actually hurt them more than, you know, we would ever imagine because of this whole egocentric thinking that it's their fault. They caused it. It, it was because of them. It happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They don't have the ability to reason through all of that. I see. Um, to
0: close it off, this is was- Really, really wonderful. I, you know, personally, you know, for myself with the kids and also relationally, I think this has been really inspiring for myself and I'm sure for a lot of our followers. But if there is one advice you can give parents for them to be the best they can be as a parent, but also for themselves, what would that be?
1: Practice self-compassion. Go look up Kristen Neff. Um, She has a beautiful website that gives tons of free resources, but you have to recognize that you are a human being in the midst of really trying times, even beyond this, and that you are not going to be perfect all the time. If you hold yourself to a standard of perfection, you are going to feel shame. And that turns into a whole bunch of other things that don't necessarily help us with parenting. So as much as you can remember that things are hard, right now, that it's hard to be a parent, that you are not alone in that, that we all struggle. I'm a therapist and I struggle. It probably won't be in the recording, but we had to pause this recording so that I could go deal with my child who was having a a bit of a thing going on. Um, And then you have to be kind to yourself and then you get up and you try better next time. But that is so incredibly important at a baseline. Awesome. Well, thank you
0: so, so much for your time, uh, Liz. And I just appreciate all the wisdom and really the inspiration that you give out to the world. So where can they find you if they want to learn more about you?
1: Yeah. So the easiest place to find me is on Instagram at Liz Listens, and it's the same handle on Facebook, on Twitter. You can find me there too. I also have a membership program that you can find through Liz Listens Easiest Way. And I share tons of relationship resources there. So anybody listening, I'd love to see you over there.
0: Thank you so much. And hopefully you have a great rest of the day and we'll talk soon.
1: Thank you. You too. Bye.
0: I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you liked it, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It really is the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more of us, head over to our Instagram and follow us there at Bumo Parent. And to learn more about Bumo Brain Virtual School, follow us at Bumo Brain or head over to bumobrain.com. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you guys next week.